Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's Word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's message. James 1, 3-1-12 Not many of you should become teachers, my brother, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Is a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Thank you. Good morning once again, Journey South Bay. My name is Derek Rishmaui. I'm the campus minister with RUF at UC Irvine, which means I, I do the same job that uh, Alex, uh, Pastor Alex does, just at a slightly less fancy campus than USC. Um, really, I'm, I'm very glad to be here sharing out of God's Word with you this morning. I mentioned earlier, uh, Alex speaks very highly of you guys, and so I can already begin to see why. This is a very warm congregation that loves to worship the Lord, so it's, it's, uh, it's a joy to be able to worship, continue that worship out of God's Word. Uh, today, as you've already seen, we are jumping out of uh, the, the sermon series that you guys have been going uh, through, I, I understand you all been going through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and this is not a complete gear shift. We're, we've moved over to a portion of the book of James. And James is a letter from the uh, early church leader, uh, an apostle and brother of Jesus, and, and it also is a book of wisdom, right? The Sermon on the Mount is a, is, is a sermon full of wisdom, about how to live wisely in the kingdom of God that Jesus Christ was bringing in his life, death, and resurrection. And James is a book about how to live a life that's truly in line with the rhythm of God's world and the gospel of Jesus. What does it concretely mean to follow Jesus out in the world and not just in your own head? Right? Because there, there's a difference there. What I want to do today is get into this text and, and get into the matter of uh, the tongue or our words. One of James's big themes is that a life of faith in Christ, right, trusting in Christ, pours out into a life of good works in Christ. And here, what he's going to be taking up is the issue of good words in Christ, which makes sense because words are works. We often don't think about it that way, but we do things with words. There's a, there's a famous um, 
20th century philosopher has a J.L. Austin, he had, they had this book called How to Do Things with Words. You can think about it. You do things all the time. Uh, you, I mean, marriage uh, uh, pastor says, I now pronounce you man and wife, and that's a big doing. You're, you're now married because of what we've done with our words. And so what we want to do today is think about how we use our words in Christ. I can think of a few things more pressing in this time because if you think about it, we, we live in a, in a time where words are strained. We live in a time when words are strained. We're about a year and a half into, I don't know, COVID time or whatever you want to call it. We've, we've hit fall. Our kids are in school, maybe. Uh, we're, we're hitting busy seasons at work. And that has put a strain on our speech in all areas. Right? Think, about, think, about, think about our speech online. What kind of articles are we sharing? Who are we arguing with pointlessly? <laughs> what about at home? Right? To our spouses, to our kids, our roommates, as the strain has kind of piled up, time under pressure, new debates, new uh, worries, new shifts in jobs, new shifts in our own health, um, as it starts to get to us, the question is, are we still gentle? Are we still gracious? Are we affirming? Are we, or are we more abrasive and sharp and aggressive? Are our voices raised constantly? Is the temperature raised constantly in the home because of our voices? What James is going to argue in this passage is that what we do with our mouths, our tongues, matters for our walk with Jesus. What I want to do is I want to make five quick points, and they will be quick points, out of this text this morning about our tongues. The first thing I want us to see here is, first, just the difficulty of controlling the tongue. Second, the power of the tongue. Third, the destruction of the tongue. The purpose of the tongue. And then finally, the salvation of the tongue. And what I want us to see is that ultimately, Jesus is our hope in all of these things. Before we get into all that, we've read the Word, but I, I do want to actually return to the Word in prayer and ask that the Holy Spirit would bless my words, that they would only match what God has spoken in His Word. So let's go ahead and bow our heads and pray. Holy Father, You are righteous and good. You speak only truth, and you have spoken only truth in your word that you've inspired by your spirit. Pretty right now that as we take time to meditate on your word, you would shape my words, that they would be guided and reflect that word, and that our own hearts would hear and respond, and that we'd be transformed more and more into the image of your son, the true and final word of God, in whose name we pray. Amen. So, uh, right off the bat, we're looking at this text, and James starts out with this very uh, funny, it's a, it's a sharp passage in general, right? James doesn't mince words, uh, but he just starts out with this warning. He says, hey, uh, by the way, not many of you should become teachers. And right immediately, many of us are uh, possibly offended, right? Uh, Americans have this thing where we love our freedom of speech, and it's hugely important, one of our first freedoms constitutionally. Uh, and, 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 and so I have this right to freely express myself. But often, this right to say what I want translates popularly into this idea that I, I have the right to be heard by everyone, which means that my opinion is as good as everyone else's in every sense, which means, why shouldn't I teach? I know a thing or two, right? Especially online, right? Facebook, Twitter, social media, all these things, they, they have this thing where they've, they've kind of shut off our on-off filter. So that like every, every word that comes into our mouth, we think, okay, this is in our mind, this is good. I have to share this. I have to say this. It must be uttered. 
don't know if anybody has that trouble. Uh, but but th- there's, this, there's this general social tendency out there that we, we think our speech is all equally good and it must always equally be shared and it's intrinsically valuable. In James's context, that wasn't quite the temptation, but the temptation was for folks to press themselves forward into the role of being a Christian teacher as a bit of a status boost in the community. Right? It was a small community, it was a poor community, but even with a small, poor community, you can still get a higher status by being in some sort of position in, in, of authority in teaching. And what James starts out warning, he says, look, I don't really think you've thought this through. In the first place, we are all going to be held accountable for our words. Right? In Matthew chapter 12, verse 26, Jesus says, God will hold us accountable for every careless word we speak. Every careless word. <laughs> But James says that that's not only generally true, it's especially true of being a teacher, right? If you're a teacher, you're more liable to judgment for how you use your words. Now, why? Because teachers instruct others, right? Your words guide others. Proverbs 18.21 says, the power of life and death are in the tongue. And this is especially the case for teachers who are instructing people in the most important truths about God, salvation, and how to live. It's not, it's not a trifling matter who is called to teach in the church. And this is especially the case when we think about how difficult it is to control the tongue, to control our words, to get a handle on these things. James says, look, if you can control your mouth, you can control your whole body. Right. If you think about that, it, 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 at first you think, mm, he's exaggerating, right? You know, that, that you, that, that's not how that works. But if you look at athletes, think about athletes. They undertake an immense amount of training in order to control their bodies. Right? Have you ever looked at any of those exercise programs online? Uh, last year and a half I've been doing stuff at home just because you, can't, you haven't been able to go to gyms. And so they have all these specialized exercise programs that you, you do the same thing 15, 20, 30 days in a row. And, by the end of it, you'll be able to do a single leg pistol squat or something like that. And, and I can't do that yet. Um, but, but athletes do years and years of physical, demanding physical training to be able to, to go ahead and like do some sort of full body extension to catch the pass or, 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 or amazing back swings or, 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 or a golf swing, whatever, whatever it is. And you see what they do with their bodies, and it's astonishing. And then what happens when a call is made against them? They're out of bounds. There's a footfall. Two seconds later, they are losing it on this ref. They can control every mu- they can control the, the glutes, the quads, the, the, you know, all the weird little infraspinatus back muscles, all those sorts of things. And this one little, this one little muscle right there in their mouth can't get a hold on it. The reality is we make mistakes of all kinds, but we especially make mistakes with our mouths, right? That's what he says. This is what brings me to my next point, the power of the tongue. Not only is the tongue hard to control, it's extremely powerful. And this shouldn't surprise us, right? As Christians, we believe that God is a speaking God, right? God has done all of his most important work with his, with his words. God created the heavens and the earth by the word of his power. He saves with verbal pronouncements. He pronounces forgiveness and justification. He declares, not guilty, righteous in my sight. Those, those things are things that he does with his words. 
And here, James uses two images to talk about the power of our words and the way our tongue, in a sense, directs our whole lives. Think of a horse. He says, uh, magnificent, powerful animals. You couldn't arm wrestle a horse or something like that, but you can control where it goes by sticking this little piece of leather in its mouth, and then you kind of pull this or that, and you can be a very tiny person. I mean, jockeys are not generally not very large, uh, large people, but you, you, can, you can have this little piece of leather in the horse's mouth and weigh, I can weigh you by three, four, or five times, and you can control where it goes. The same thing's true of a ship, right? You can have a huge ship. Storm can come up with gale force winds against a ship that weighs two, 300, 400 times you, and if you have control of the rudder, which is a very tiny part of the ship, comparatively, you can turn the whole thing. And this is true of our words. Right? Think about how your words steer your whole life. They commit you, and you follow them. Right? You tell a friend on Tuesday, yeah, I'll help you move on Saturday. And guess what? You, your, your whole body, your, your back, your legs, your arms, maybe your truck uh, that, that you kind of regret uh, buying because everybody asks you to help them move. It's, you've, it's committed, you know, you've committed you know, two tons of your Ford truck to help this person move because of one little thing you did with your little mouth. Right? You tell your friend, you tell someone you're going to give them a loan, and your money goes out the door to them. You tell your kid you're going to go to the park, and woe betide you if you can't actually go that day. You make an argument. And even in those moments where you're not sure about it, I don't know if you ever had that, you're in the middle of an argument, you're arguing a point, and you start doubling down, you're not even sure if you're right, but you end up holding some position you didn't hold 10 minutes ago because your words just kept running. And this is just us, right? This is just everyday stuff. Think, and this is, this is, again, why a teacher's words matter. In a church, a teacher's words can direct the body of Christ for good or for ill, moving it closer to Jesus or farther away. In our families, with our friends, our words direct others, influence them. As a parent, uh, you are teachers to your children, right? This is actually your main job in Christ, right? To instruct your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So one word of encouragement, one word of grace, one word of humor can be life-giving, but it can also go very terribly wrong. And this brings us to our next point, which is the destruction that the tongue can wreak. Right? The main image that Jesus, or not Jesus, although he does, uh, James uses here is of fire. Right? How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Now, we live in Southern California, so we, we know a little bit about fire. Fire is nothing to play with. A couple of years ago, the Kincaid Fire uh, burned 78,000 acres in Sonoma County alone. It's estimated that all the California wildfires that year cost California something like $163 million in damage. Right? And all this can happen in a single match, a single flame, a single spark which is why all of us live in terror that some Instagram influencer is going to have a kid and gender reveal or something like that. A whole state can go up in flames. Look for that laugh. Um, the same thing can happen with our words, right? One bad tweet uh, can get thousands of retweets and cost you your job. Uh, Elon Musk, uh, I don't know, a couple years ago, he tweeted out uh, something and Tesla's stock dropped something like $14 billion off its value just because of a single, single phrase. Um, that's like 100, 100 times the loss of those fires. 
I'm trying to drive this home, but our words can do serious damage. Think about the sins of our own mouths at home, right? Gossip and slander can destroy a reputation. How many of our kids live in fear of a rumor going off about them at school? How many churches have been destroyed by false accusations or angry, loveless words? How many marriages have ended because of a cycle of flaming words that nobody seemed to be able to pour water on? How many of us have spent hours in therapy talking through that one thing that your mom or your dad said when you were at just that right age and it pierced your heart? This is why James wants us to consider how untamable and how dangerous our words are. You can tame just about any animal, except for like our house cat. We can't get her to do anything. Um, But it takes a wild amount of self-control to tame the tongue. James says hellfire dwells in the tongue, both because it can lead to a hellish existence in this life, but eventually even a hellish afterlife. And this is where James turns a little bit of a corner, right? Once we see how powerful the tongue is, how hard it is to control, and how dangerous it is to get out of hand, he begins to set up a contrast with the purpose of the tongue. Why, do, why did God give us our words? And he says it this, with our, with our mouth, we bless our Lord and Father, and then with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. See, at core, humans were given the power of speech. Our tongues were made in order to image God, to reflect Him, to praise His name, to communicate, to, to love and glorify Him in all that we do. The highest thing we can do with our speech is testify to the glory and majesty of our triune God. The irony, of course, is that while many of us will admit that, we don't see what's wrong with cursing our neighbor. We leave the church. Well, we have a great time here at church. We praise. We'll get in the car, and then someone's going to cut us off, and then we curse the guy on the freeway. It's a very cheesy old pastor joke, and yet it works every time because everybody does it. We've all lived it. right? We praise him in song. We pray to him, and then we badmouth our neighbor. We proclaim Jesus as Lord, and then go online and trash our political opponents as evil trash and monsters, even though they're made in the same image of God. But James points out that your neighbor is made in the image of God, and you and I, as image bearers, were like little walking icons, little walking idols made to reflect God. So when you curse another image bearer, you're cursing the one in whose image you're made. It's like looking at a parent, like looking at a woman and saying, like, you're very pretty, you're very beautiful, and then looking at like her child who looks exactly like her and saying, I don't know. You, you can't. You can't do that. You're made in the image of God. Your neighbors are made in the image of God. And when you look at them, you're looking at a reflection of God. The other way of putting it is that loving God and loving neighbor are connected. You can't love God and hate your neighbor. You can't praise God and curse your neighbor. James says that eventually one of those things will win out, or ultimately one of those things will prove true. When you come to a body of water, it's either going to be fresh or salt water, right? You don't have salty, fresh lakes. It's one or the other. And when it comes to trees, unless you've got some sort of kind of weird genetic modification going, it's one thing or the other. It's apples or oranges. It's figs or olives. 
In other words, deep down, you are actually just one kind of person. You are either the kind of person who loves God and is learning to love their neighbor, or you're the kind of person who openly hates his neighbor and will one day be revealed to actually hate God as well. It's revelatory. So where does that leave us? What hope do we have of controlling our tongues? To save them, really, and to be really saved. Essentially, it's, it's the same hope that we have in all things, which is to look to Jesus in the gospel and faith. Right? What do we see in the gospel? We see Jesus, who is the Son, but He's also the true Word of God. He is the Word that the Father has been speaking from all of eternity. That's what Hebrews says. What John says. And this Word took on flesh. The living Word took on flesh, dwelt among a soul and body, including a tongue. And with that tongue, He spoke only the words that the Father gave to Him, testifying and glorifying to God, glorifying God in all things. He came speaking blessing. You've been hearing the Beatitudes. Blessed. Blessed are those. Jesus came speaking blessing. And He came speaking blessing in the face of human cursing. Think about the cross. Even on the cross, He prayed that God might forgive His enemies for they knew not what they did. Even as the thief on the cross next to Him and the soldiers were mocking Him. They were cursing Him. But as Peter said in 1 Peter 2, 22 to 23, he says, he committed no sin. He did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And in fact, he did all of this so that he could be perfect for us. So that on the cross, he could suffer and bear in our place the curse and judgment for the words by which we curse our neighbors and curse God himself. Right? To curse God is to invite the curse of judgment and death upon ourselves. And this is exactly what Jesus suffers in our place. Though he was innocent. And it's for this reason that God, by the very word of his power, raised him from the dead and vindicated him and declared, this is my son. And when you see this, this is your hope. Because when you put your faith in Christ, you're united with Him, and everything that becomes true of Him becomes true of you. You are declared righteous. You are given the hope of resurrection and glory. And at that moment, when you put your faith in Jesus, alongside all those things, all of this leads you to praise God. And to confess with your lips, Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you begin to see his greatness. You begin to see his power. You begin to see his love. And this causes a change deep down within your heart. And this is what it means to be a Christian. The wellspring of your heart, the taproot of your words, changes. Because at that moment, the Holy Spirit, God says, is poured out into your hearts. This is God's personal presence. Romans 5, 5 says, the, is poured out in our hearts and the love of God begins to flow through us. God himself begins to dwell in you. Jesus says that when we come to him in faith, we will never thirst and rivers of living water will flow up from within us. The living water is the Holy Spirit. And from that fountain, 
only praise can eventually bubble up. Essentially, what I'm trying to tell you is this. When you give your whole life to Jesus, body and soul, he takes care of your tongue too because he changes your heart. And it resolves itself that way. The gospel is your hope. Practically, though, what does it mean? How, do, how, does, it, how, does, it, how does it start working out from our, from our, from our hearts to our mouths? Um, for one thing, if you're not a Christian, become one. Right? I don't know if you're, if you're here today and you know, your friend brought you, your, your mom brought you, somebody dragged you along, or you just needed a place to go on a Sunday morning and you realize that you don't actually confess Jesus Christ as Lord, uh, become a Christian. Speak to some of the elders here. Speak to anybody. Contact Pastor Alex. They'd love to talk to you about what it means to become a Christian. If you are a Christian, however, uh, and you want to grow in this, well, focus on praising God, right? This goes back, there's this, there's this uh, cheesy uh, old saying, you know, inside of me there are, you've probably heard this, inside of me there are two dogs, inside of me there are two wolves. Uh, one is evil and the other is good and they fight each other all the time. And which one's going to win? The one you feed more, right? Um, in biblical idiom, uh, Paul says in Galatians 6, it's, it's, it's a matter of uh, sowing. Whatever seeds you sow, if you sow to the flesh, you will reap flesh. If you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap a harvest from the Spirit. So actually praising God, sowing a harvest of the Spirit, singing to Him, right? And I mean like all the time. I don't know if it, what, what your drives in the car look like. I don't know what doing work around the house looks like. I don't know what uh, music you listen to at the gym. I don't know. Turn on Spotify. Turn on praise music. One that, one that you actually like. And start praising God. Practice it. As you start to practice, as you start, it's almost like going through, you know, practicing your golf swing a hundred times in the mirror. As you start to practice using your tongue for what it was actually made for, it becomes harder for it to use it for what it was not made for. The tongue that's used to blessing uh, becomes inhibited in its ability to curse, right? And that's just one thing, right? There's so many other things you can do, whether it's practicing affirming each other at home, practicing uh, memorizing scripture out loud, all those sorts of things. But, but this right here, uh, singing, I think is one of the most important things you can do is lifting your voice, lifting your tongues to the Lord, and allowing him to form you and shape you in light of the gospel by the power of the Spirit. Which is why I can think of uh, no more important thing we can do right now is just to continue this service in light of the gospel to praise our God. Why don't you go ahead and bow your heads and pray with me and we'll, we'll do that now. Holy Father, you are good. You are beautiful. You are true. And the words that you speak are true. And the words that you speak are blessing. I pray right now that as we go out through our weeks, uh, we would live in that truth. We would trust your grace and we would praise your name with joy and thanksgiving in our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. If you enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed. This will let you know when a new message has been posted. You can also look for us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram at Journey South Bay. Until next time, God bless.